So, Mark. Yes? What's the weirdest thing you've done in Tennessee? So, my grandparents live outside Knoxville, and East Tennessee is an interesting place, and my favorite activity that I've done there was visit the world's largest treehouse. Sounds fun. A place that I think a couple years ago burned to the ground. (laughs) So... The world's largest treehouse was a very massive structure that was built by a pastor who believed that God had told him another flood was coming, and it was the new But arc. not so flooded that a treehouse wouldn't do the yeah, job? Like, I, I think in the first one, all the trees were covered. Yeah, it was. I guess it's about a 10-foot flood. Um, so I'm pretty sure he contracted a bunch of people experiencing homelessness to help him build the world's largest treehouse, which included a full chapel. And from the top, you could see that they planted the word Jesus with crops in the field over. And they had a swing, which was just a plastic lawn chair duct taped to rope that was tied to the tree. And they were charging admission, but they had to stop because it didn't meet the fire code for a place you could charge admission to. And yes, I'm seeing clearly that. because it just burned to the ground. Yeah, I, I've looked it up. It's the minister's treehouse in Crossville, Tennessee. Uh, R.I.P. It was 100 feet tall. He spent 19 years building it. As you said, the fire marshal told him it was unsafe in 2012. And in 2019, it burned to the ground in 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm honestly thrilled that I got the chance to go before it burned to the ground. Yeah, that is much wilder than like the weirdest stuff I've done in Tennessee, which was like, I don't know, karaoke. Nearby, there's also a restaurant that is covered with porcelain dolls. Like every table has a porcelain doll and some of them are suspended from the ceiling. Creepy. We wanted to go, but it was closed. Uh, The world's largest underground lake is out there, the Lost Sea. You can go take a boat in a lake that is pitch black. Also in Tennessee, ancient Sumerian demons. Yeah. The Kendrian demons, of course. Uh, So should we start digging into the weird adventures of five teens out in eastern Tennessee? Let's do it. All right. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining one of the most important, unimportant questions facing the world today. Namely, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even likable. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation or something that's just kind of there a little bit occasionally. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are looking at the directorial debut of a director we featured in the past on our Spider-Man 3 episode, Sam Raimi, with his movie, The Evil Dead. In honor of Halloween, which it definitely is, and we know exactly what's going on with the world right now. That's right. Halloween is this week, and that's why it's so chilly outside and there are leaves on the ground. (laughs) We wanted to dig in and explore the world of Necronomicons and Sumerian demons and all of that noise. And isn't that the ultimate love story? This movie was an interesting experience to watch. It was like... Pretty scary at times, but also the effects reminded me of Beetlejuice. Yes. It was very Beetlejuicean in a lot of ways. And this predates Beetlejuice by several years. And I don't know. I don't really get the cult following that it has, I think. I enjoyed it, but I don't know. The Spider-Man trilogy might still be my favorite Sam Raimi movies that I have seen. Well, since you've brought that up. Uh, I want to play a Sam Raimi game, and then I'm going to... I have some hypotheses about why The Evil Dead, a movie I really enjoyed, became such a cult phenomenon, especially in the 1980s and the 1990s. But first, Mark, I want you, for me, to guess Sam Raimi's top five movies at the domestic box office. It's probably like Spider-Man 2, 
Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. So it's actually Spider-Man 1, then 2, then 3. Okay. I thought Spider-Man 2 did better for some reason. Spider-Man 1, when it came out, was the biggest opening weekend of all time. Oh my god. I don't think I'd realize that. Yeah, it was a massive record-breaking sensation. So number one, Spider-Man. Number two, Spider-Man 2. Number three, Spider-Man 3. What do you think is Sam Raimi's fourth most successful movie? I don't know if I know of any Sam Raimi movies besides the Evil Dead and Spider-Man. So I'm going to say The Evil Dead. Uh, no, The Evil Dead made $2.4 million. <laughs> so uh, Evil Dead 2 or 3? Evil Dead 2 made 5.9. Evil Dead 3 Army of Darkness made 11.5. So nice franchise. It keeps like doubling its box office. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi's fourth most successful movie at the domestic box office is also his most recent movie. And it's from 2013. He hasn't made a movie in seven years. Was that like The Winter's Tale? No, it was Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh my god, I forgot that movie existed. So did everyone. It is a movie starring James Franco, Rachel Weisz, and Mila Kunis. And it is a Oz the Great and Powerful prequel movie. It's like, what's the point of even trying to do that when Wicked is out there? That is a movie that fully does not exist. A major director, three pretty big stars recognizable IP, and it had no cultural footprint. What's number five, then? So all of those are over $200 million. Number five is $42 million, and it's Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, I think besides Evil Dead, Spider-Man really is the only Sam Raimi movie I could name. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird that he hasn't made a movie in seven years, and the last one was Oz the Great and Powerful. What's he up to these days? He's directing the next Doctor Strange movie. Okay. Which I think his sensibilities are right for. Yeah. That movie needs to be really weird. Yeah. What is Drag Me to Hell? Is that just another horror movie? It is. Yeah. Okay. It's his return to horror after the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. I don't know much about horror. Not really my genre. Sure. But when this movie comes out, horror is having its resurgence. Uh, Halloween is 1978. Friday the 13th is 1979. So this is being made in... 1980, 1981. So it is this period where horror movies are having massive box office success and a lot of critical attention. And it's being made by like high school and college buddies. Sam Raimi is 20 when they shot this movie. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. So these are like people who are in college making a movie together, which leads to some production problems. It seems like this shoot was a horrible experience. Yeah, I was reading about that. It sounded like everyone was incredibly unhappy the whole time. Yeah, they shot it in the mountains of Tennessee in January, and they just lived in the cabin while they were making it. Why? <laughs> like, so they're all like sleeping on floors and stuff. There's no heating. So they started burning furniture to keep warm. By the time they were done, they had burned all the furniture in the cabin. And meanwhile, like people were getting sick because of how cold it was. People were getting hurt a lot in part, like during the shooting of stuff because they weren't doing it super safely. Like actors were actually getting thrown into stuff, but also just like there were production mistakes. Like Betsy Baker's eyelashes got ripped off once when they were taking off her face makeup. And then people would just like get hurt or get lost or stuff. This is Effectively a movie made by college kids. Why would they film in January? Couldn't they just have done it later? Like March when it is warmed up some? You know, I don't know. You can find out a lot about making this movie from Bruce Campbell's autobiography. But it might just be like that's when they had the money put together to do it. So Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Robert Tappert, who 
produced the movie were all friends. Ramey and Campbell had gone to high school together. The three of them were all at Michigan State. They made a short film called Within the Woods, which has a pretty similar plot line to show investors. And they were able to cobble together about $90,000 to make the movie, at which point they made the movie in part because they got money from the government of Tennessee to shoot in Tennessee. And they had to do all kinds of like jury rigged techniques to make the movie happen. Like they couldn't afford a dolly. So those shots where the camera is kind of like sweeping along the ground, they had to build a contraption so the camera could slide down wooden rails and move along things. This is a movie where Bruce Campbell was cast as Ash because he was also a producer, so nobody else wanted to stay for the entire shoot, and he had to as a producer. I found it interesting that this turned out not to be a zombie movie, which is what I thought. I also assumed it was a zombie movie. And it was very strange because I guess they die, but it's more of a possession than an evil dead type situation. Well, the evil dead are the, like, spirits. Okay, but... At the same time, why were there these (laughs) ancient Sumerian demons in eastern Tennessee? I think, and this is, I have only seen this movie, I have not seen the sequels, I have not seen the TV series. It's because the archaeologist who had lived in the cabin, because he brought the book and he spoke the words, that brought these Sumerian demons to that cabin. Ah, okay. And Necronomicon, that's a Lovecraft thing, right? Yes, and that is a direct reference here. It is in part inspired by Raimi having dug Lovecraft when he was in high school. Okay. Uh apparently, speaking of Lovecraft, the Game of Thrones people are supposedly working on a Lovecraft story where Lovecraft is the hero. So, that's probably not going to happen. That is one of several projects they have been attached to that seem ill-advised and unlikely to be made. They need to stop being given money. Everything they have chosen basically since Game of Thrones has revolved around some sort of race issue. Yeah. Now, you brought up earlier the fact that the Evil Dead was this cult phenomenon in the 1980s and 1990s. And I think that's the case for a couple of reasons. One is that it was genuinely revolutionary in its special effects. Those things that, I agree with you, look kind of like Beetlejuice in their, like, goopy stop-motion effects. A lot of those were developed here by their designer, Tom Sullivan, who was another Michigan State guy with Raimi and the others, but also because it was so fantastically gory. They made the movie themselves without a distributor, and Raimi showed it to Irvin Shapiro, who had distributed Night of the Living Dead. Shapiro also was one of the founders of the Cannes Film Festival, and so he agreed to screen it out of competition at Cannes in 1982. Stephen King saw it because he was at Cannes, and raved about it. He talked about it being this like amazing original new horror movie. And so even before people could see it, it was this micro-budget, word-of-mouth like whisper that people heard about. And Raimi and his crew for a while were just like renting one theater, showing it for a night. It would be a big hit. And then like who knew when it would be seen again? And it was in part because of Stephen King's endorsement that New Line Cinema picked it up for US distribution and released it simultaneously in a handful of theaters and on VHS. So it became one of those things that like you vaguely heard about. And in the early days of VHS, when they were really expensive, you could maybe rent it or maybe get your hands on it or maybe see it somewhere. It's very much a pre-internet phenomenon. I think I enjoyed this somewhat, but I think the problem, I'm really turned off by movies that use sexual assault like this. 
I think that's the biggest problem with the movie. And it just, it happened so early that it just kind of shut me off from it. And we talked about this somewhat with School Days 2. I'm just so annoyed by the use of sexual assault as a plot device without really going into it or anything like that. The plants attacking would be plenty sufficiently horrifying without that. Yeah, it didn't need that element. She could just be like wrapped up and attacked and that would have been fine. And then they just added that weird thing where the plants like strip her clothes and all that. And I was just like, I I don't like, no, get out of here. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem with the movie. I think the rest of it I find pretty fun. And I think it engages in a weird balance between stuff that is frankly pretty comic and outrageous gory horror because it wasn't like a proper cinematic release for like the first decade of its existence theaters treated it like an x-rated movie which i think again contributes to its cult status because because it becomes this weird extreme thing it was one of the most gory movies to be shown in theaters it didn't get a wide release finally in the 90s they officially gave it an nc-17 rating again based on the outrageous amounts of gore it's weird being like desensitized to the gore watching this and thinking about how revolutionary it must have been right but this movie would be r today yeah and i feel like the r is more result of the tree scene (laughs) than just the gore yeah although you can't show a ton of gore in a pg-13 movie that's why they always have that bloodless violence oh yeah but i mean this movie it's made 1981 that's only 14 years after bonnie and clyde right and when was psycho that was 60 right psycho is earlier and that's another movie that has really prominent use of blood 20 years after psycho right and you think about the controversy that attended both that and bonnie and clyde and the degree to which this shoots past both of those right i've never seen any of the like halloween or friday the 13th movies so i am curious now kind of after watching this to go see one of those and compare the gore levels halloween's not a gory movie yeah so i am more curious because a lot of the reasons i don't like horror is because Because when I was, you know, younger in high school, the type of movies that were being made were the more gory types of horror, the slasher. We came up when Saw was popular. Right. And so it was just, I was never that into that style. But I I feel like I should give classic horror a try. I think you would dig Halloween. I'm also curious to watch uh, the Universal Monster movies because of the Dark Universe. They're all on Peacock. I know. We keep talking about Peacock. The Olympics didn't happen, so we have to be their PR department. (laughs) NBC, pay us. It is genuinely a pretty good platform. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting choice. I'm curious to see how it works out as the only one to do a free option with ads. I'm really into the channels. Do you know about the channels on Peacock? Yeah, I watched the SNL one. Yeah, I watched the SNL one a lot. Anyway, back to Evil Dead. This has been our Peacock segment. (laughs) The weekly Peacock segment. All right. So, like we said, the Evil Dead, it's basically made by a bunch of kids. It becomes this underground cult phenomenon. After it, Raimi and Tappert and Bruce Campbell say, like, great, now we get to make a real movie. They make another movie, and that one is a big critical and commercial disappointment. So they say, never mind, we'll make two more Evil Dead movies. And those movies are really well received. I have not seen them, but I'm interested to check them out, particularly the third one, which involves time travel. Yeah, I did read about that, too, and I was like, maybe I'll check this one out. Yeah. And they work together through a lot of their careers. Bruce Campbell has cameos in all the Spider-Man movies. And this movie continues to have its devotees for its special effects and that horror comedy mix that defines it. Right. There was a TV show, I think, 
based off of this recently. Ash versus Evil Dead, yeah. which starred Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi directed the pilot and was an executive producer. So I read the plot of the sequel and it sounds like it's just the same movie but slightly different that is my understanding of evil dead 2 my understanding of it is that it pushes the special effects again in some pretty interesting ways but i haven't seen it so i can't speak to it yeah i read the wikipedia summary and i was like oh uh linda's back <laughs> linda is played by a different actor in all three of the evil dead movies but she's in all three yes that's honestly kind of fun but Yeah, the woman who plays her in this movie, Betsy Baker, was pregnant when they were shooting Evil Dead 2. And then the actor they used in Evil Dead 2 was getting married when they were shooting Army of Darkness. I think Linda is my favorite of the Evil Dead. Yeah, because I like how she laughs. Yeah, she is the creepiest of them. Actually, I think Cheryl's my favorite because she spent so much time just looking out of the crack of the (laughs) cellar and just like shaking it. It's like that gif of the evil queen from Snow White poking out of the trapdoor. Right. And it's so much of the movie. Like that's clearly a comedic choice. And I think it's so funny that so long she's just down there like laughing. Ha I'm evil. And poking her head up so you can see her creepy face makeup. It's weird to me how many like lines and ideas from this movie percolated deep enough into the culture that when I was in like fifth and sixth grade 20 years later, I was familiar with like, we're gonna get you and like, join us and all of that. Like people were saying that and I don't think any of us had seen the evil dead. I don't think I realized where that came from until now. Yeah, it's always wild when you are watching a movie and realize that it's the source of something that you were aware of. But especially this, I'm like, who was it in my middle school who was able to make that reference? Right, and I guess I always think of that kind of thing more with The Shining, the join us of the like, come play with us. And I thought it was kind of playing off of that. But I guess the join us is specifically from this one. Seems like it. Yeah. And so what I was curious about is it seems that the evil was around before they read the book. So I guess it's just like maybe leftover from the last time it was read. But I was kind of confused why the woods were already evil. Yeah, I think that this place is permanently tainted. Right. In part, possibly because of the presence of the book. Yeah. Also, I love the idea of someone just renting this cabin out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the real question of this movie. So we have this archaeologist's cabin that's haunted by demons and it seems like it's livable if you don't play the tape but yeah they rented this cabin from whom who owns it who's renting it i think the archaeologist is dead he had to chop up his wife so i doubt he'd be one to rent it out right like what happened here Obviously, it's hard to watch this movie without thinking about Cabin in the Woods, which is very directly building on this movie and our expectations from this movie. But at least in that one, we have, like, some vague justification, like my cousin knew about it. Right, he's just like, no, I got a steal on it. And I was like, well, you better have. I hope it was cheap. (laughs) Welcome to the pre-internet world when you can't, like, see pictures of the place you're renting. I think that might be one of my favorite parts of this movie is just like how they end up in this cabin where Scotty's just like, I got a steal on it. So we're here. I I hadn't really thought about it because I just accepted the premise like, right, they rent this cabin. But multiple people have died here. Right. Who owns it now? Also, weird. the fact that like anyone would then want to rent it. I guess it's like a camping situation. Yeah. And it's pre-internet, so you can't look it up and be like, oh, wow, somebody was chopped up here. No, I'm just thinking about, like, what is there to do? Like, why are these five kids just going out to the woods? Yeah, hang out in the woods, hike. Yeah. Make some s'mores, have sex. 
Because it's two couples and Ash's sister. Yeah. So should we dig into the romances of this movie? Yes, let's talk about the deeply romantic film, Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. Yes, very much about love. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to help us examine that movie's romance. And this movie, we kind of just start off with our cast headed up to the cabin where they will be murdered. So on the one hand, we have... Our lead, Ash, played by Bruce Campbell, who again got the lead because no other actor was willing to stay on this horrible wilderness set for the whole movie. And he is dating Linda, played by Betsy Baker. And our other couple is Scott, who is credited as Hal Delrich, but is played by Richard Demanicor. And Shelley, credited as Sarah York, played by Teresa Tilly. Are those like screen names or just different actors? No, they are screen names. Okay. Yeah, and th- so we've got our two couples. And then there's Cheryl. And there's Cheryl, who is Ash's sister. They're all going up to the cabin. Scotty got a steal on it. And they're going to spend the weekend. Right. And they almost get into an accident while they're driving on the way up to set the scene that this is not going to be a good weekend. Right. The guys driving that truck, the two fishermen, are played by Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert, the producer. Then they drive across the, like, one rickety bridge. Oh, God. The car almost falls in. That was honestly the most stressful part of the movie. And they get to the cabin and they're like, cool, we're at the cabin. And that's point one. What the hell was that? Are you trying to kill us? Hey, don't blame me. It's your steering wheel. Damn thing jerked right out of my hand. Yeah, and the stand that I had this thing in for a tune-up yesterday and they said they'd go over everything. Yeah, well, you better take it back because the damn thing don't work. I like that you can see Bruce Campbell's hair change a lot over the course of the movie. Yeah, it's the course of one night and he has like four hairstyles. They were making this for not a lot of money. Yeah. So point number two, they're at the cabin. They're flirting around. A trap door has weirdly flown open, but that's no big deal. Scotty decided to play a recording of a creepy archaeologist. Cheryl got possessed and drew something that she didn't want to and also hears voices from the woods. And her hand turned gray. Right. But that's not romance. But Nope. <laughs> But it is weird. So what we're going to focus on is Linda and Ash who decide to stay up and watch the fire. And then Ash is like, hey, Linda, I'm going to fall asleep while you leave the room for two seconds. But I'm going to do it with this jewelry box in my hand. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. Yeah. And then as she's reaching for the box, he's like watching and pretending to be asleep. And then yeah. when she grabs it, he's like, stealing from the sleeping people, are we? I guess. And again, like, kind of trying to, like, joke spook her by being like, nope, I'm awake! Right. And then inside is a pretty cool necklace with a mini magnifying glass. Yeah, she really likes it. She tries it on. I think she's still wearing her turtleneck at this point, which is so thick, it looks like she's wearing a neck brace. <laughs> I thought that too. I love it. Meanwhile, Scotty and Shelly are having sex. Point three! <laughs> So Cheryl's possessed by the evil dead. It's a seven. I don't believe it! Of spades. Queen of spades. Four of hearts. Eight of spades. Two of spades. Jack of diamonds. Jack of clubs. Why have you disturbed our sleep? Her eyes are all white. She's pretty gray. She's very creepy. And she stabs Linda in the leg. So Linda goes to bed so she can be off her leg. Right. So she's just like asleep now. (laughs) Yeah, she'll be asleep for like the next 30 minutes. Right. Meanwhile, Shelly is the next person to be possessed. Yeah, she hears something outside. And Scotty's like, okay, well, just go to bed, get some sleep. We'll leave here in the morning. And when she goes to her room, she finds the window smashed in. So she starts 
investigating the broken window. And then Scotty goes looking for her and she attacks him in the bathroom and she digs her fingernails into his face, which is really gross. Yeah. A lot of blood comes out. And yeah, like you said, she is now the new possessed one. And he throws her in the fire. Apparently the demons give your fingernails super strength because they can do some real damage more than a normal fingernail would. I think the demons are just super strong. Right. But yeah, he throws her in the fire and takes the axe from Ash and chops her up into little bits. And the bits are still moving. Which is great. And very Beetlejuicy. And the recording had said the only way he could deal with his wife was to, like, chop her up into little bits. The archaeologist. And then they bury her outside the cabin. Point four. So Scotty is now freaked out and is like, we need to get out of here. Yeah, I mean, he just had to chop up his girlfriend. Right. And then Ash is like, but Linda can't walk because her leg's bad. And then Scotty says, let's leave her behind. We'll send someone to get her in the morning. At which point you're like, Linda's going to die. Yeah. Like, if you do that, she will die. It's pretty easy to figure out that everyone is going to die except for Ash very early on. Well, yeah. But, I mean, the point of the movie is not suspense of, like, is everyone going to make it? It's how is all this going to go down? Right. This is one of those movies where part of its predictability is because it has been copied by so many movies. Yeah. I think that Ash is a pretty clear last man, but maybe that is because I've seen more horror movies. Yeah, and I mean, it's also just because there is, like, a fundamental morality to the horror genre, and Ash is the one who is going out of his way to help people. Like, when Cheryl is really nervous, he's like, fine, Cheryl, I'll take you into town. Right. But then, next, Linda gets possessed, and she just laughs for the most part. Yeah, which is great. She just, like, sits cross-legged on the floor laughing at Ash. Right, and so she doesn't actually attack as much for a while. She's just kind of there laughing, and Cheryl's also just there. Well, Cheryl, they have locked in the cellar, so she's poking up the trapdoor. Right. The creepy thing is that, like, the demon recedes. Right. Ash gets the shotgun, and he's going to shoot her. And then it's just Linda, and she's like, no, don't shoot me, help me. Which is, watching it, you're like, this is bad news. But you also get how Ash in that circumstance is like, well, crap, what do I do now? Right. But shocking, the demon comes back and attacks Ash. And Ash, like, there's a whole fight involving this, like, creepy bone knife. Right. Where it's like a really long blade with a handle made of a bunch of bones. Which I thought would be more magical or something, but nah, it's just a knife that looks creepy. Yeah, because, like, she slashes him on the arm at one point with it. He manages during the fight to stab her in the back and then dial M for murder style, push her on the floor so that it drives deeper into her back. Right. And then he takes her outside. Oh, no, this is where he, like, straps her to the table. Yeah, he was going to chainsaw her to bits, but he can't make himself do it. Right. Because he loves her. So then he's going to bury her instead. Romance. Uh, Which is bad news because we see, as he is digging the hole, that she is not dead. Right. Also... I feel like it takes longer to dig graves than this movie leads you to believe. Yeah, they dig fast. And they're not that deep, but they're not that shallow either. Yeah, they are impressive diggers. But yeah, so he buries her and then point five, essentially. Uh, She wasn't dead. She comes back and... They fight again. It's just Ash and the evil dead. And he's finally able to defeat them by setting fire to the Book of the Dead. Right. And he uses Linda's necklace to do it. Right. Romance. He can't reach it and he 
lassos it, basically, with the magnifying glass necklace. Right. And then Ash is alone, and there are creepy noises. Right. It cuts off with him basically being attacked. It's implied, yeah. By some vague horror sounds. Malevolent force in the woods. Right. But yeah, that's the end of the movie, The Evil Dead. Not a lot of romance. <laughs> yeah, but we were able to get an, get romance out of it. There are two relationships. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I like. I, I agree with you. I could have done without the extremeness of the forest attack on Cheryl. Yeah. But overall, for 86 minutes, I thought it was a fun, freaky, surprisingly funny movie. Yeah. I didn't hate it, but it definitely... I think I just got a little too turned off by that scene. Which is valid. Yeah. I'd be interested to see some of the sequels because I don't think they have that element in it. Because this that was criticized at the time, too. Yeah. That's not... And I think rightly so. Right. So it's not like a, you know, recent critical reappraisal or something. The interesting thing is how long the criticism of that trope and horror has been around and yet the continued reliance on it. Yeah. Horror has a complicated relationship with sexuality. Yeah. It's not good for the most part. It's often a bad one. Yeah. The way that people are punished for having sex in a lot of classic horror movies like Friday the 13th. And I feel like it doesn't entirely know what to do with it still to this day. Yeah. But after watching all of the Evil Dead, do you find the romances believable? Okay, so let's walk through the romance here. We've got two couples. They're dating. Ash and Linda have a nice evening, and he gives her a present. Scotty and Shelly have sex. <laughs> Vacation sex. That's basically sex. all we see of... Yeah, Scotty and Shelly have sex. Scotty's a little obnoxious to people, where, like when he insists on playing the tape. Ash and Linda seem to have a pretty nice relationship. He is supportive. He helps her when her leg is hurt. He doesn't want to kill her. Those are all good things in a relationship. Right. (laughs) What are you thinking, Mark? I don't know. I mean, you see so little of the romance, but you have to take into account the rest of the movie, too, where Scotty very quickly just chops Shelly up with an axe. Yeah, I think that's a problem. So uh, on our scale every week, we rate the believability on a 10-point scale. I don't know. So the question is, how much does Scotty that quickly chopping up his girlfriend, who, to be fair, is a demon trying to kill him, how much does that drag down our romance? I'm going to give it like a seven. (laughs) I'm going eight. All right. That's fair. Do you find any of the romantic leads dateable? I think Ash seems really nice and supportive. Pre-Demon Linda's great. Pre-Demon Linda's great? I don't think I want to date Scotty. He seems kind of No, he seems like he's like the annoying friend. Shelly is fine, I guess. If I had to guess, there's no evidence for this, but I think that it's more likely that Linda and Shelly are friends, and that is why Scotty is along, because otherwise he is very annoying. I agree with you. If you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Mm, Probably Linda. She's very nice. Pre-demon Linda. Post-demon Linda? Yes. Nah. Yeah, I think pre-demon Linda is the move. She's just, you know, the nice one. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like she has a probably a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah. She's got a nice, fun laugh. <laughs> Do you think this movie should be made into a musical? I would watch it. I would watch it, too. I think it could be interesting. Yeah. We've talked about, like, how a horror musical could be an interesting thing to try, and I think that doing something with a simpler plot could be fun. And I'd also be really interested to see, in a well-done version of it, the way that, like, a character's singing performance changed when they were possessed by the evil dead. Yeah. The join us song would be very good. (laughs) Yeah. I would definitely watch it. Yeah. Hey folks, this is Will from the future checking in to apologize for my bad research back when we recorded this episode. 
It turns out there is an Evil Dead musical. It premiered in Toronto in 2003 and had an off-Broadway run in 2006. I'll drop a little music from it at the end of the episode. This phenomenon continues to amaze me. All right, uh, I think that's about it for The Evil Dead. Nice short, bite-sized episode for Halloween. Gives you plenty of time this week to go out and vote if you have not done so already. Next week, we will be going back to the well of the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan rom-com, right? Yeah, but we're watching the best one. Okay, so I don't know anything about it. So I'm very excited to watch Joe versus the Volcano. I love this movie. It's very weird. Mark, I hope you like it. It's fantastic. We will find out. It's written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, who wrote Moonstruck. Oh, well, that is a good sign in its favor. And also doubt. <laughs> I have such Which is just a doubt. weird fact. <laughs> Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. You can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help new people to find the show. All right. Last question. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from The Evil Dead? Sometimes you don't need to be fancy. You can just find a nice quiet time together, like sitting and watching a fire. Hmm. Chopping up your girlfriend with an axe is not the best way to end a relationship. (laughs) Seems fair. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Go vote! Go vote. Yes, Mark's got a blow. Don't be just a fucking schmo and join us. You'll be dead with no remorse and be hung like a horse. You can even bang a corpse if you join us. Imagine all the fun if to evil you succumb. So just lay down that big gun and join our dark army of evil Cantarian demons as we conquer this land and take over each and every soul of the living. No!